On this week's episode of Juke Sports, we talk prop bets first Super Bowl 55, the blockbuster trade between the Rams and the Lions, the biggest surprise in the NBA right now, the Philadelphia 76ers leading the East, and a little bit of college basketball and who I think is going to be in the Final Four. We have our list segment on biggest upsets in Super Bowl history and our closing statement on the division of death in the NHL. All that and a lot more. All right, let's get after it. Welcome back to another episode of Juke Sports. It is February 2nd, 2021, and we are five days away until the Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So without further ado, let's get into it. <clears throat> so like I've said before, I think the unsung hero of Kansas City is its defense. I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, I think they have one of the better defenses in the league and it is overshadowed by that tremendous Kansas City offense. Now, Tampa Bay will be at home, which definitely counts for something, all right? They um, they don't have to travel. They're already there. They, I believe they're not going to be using the same locker room as they usually would because Kansas City is the home team. Um but still, that's still going to give them a few points as far as spread goes, which we will talk about later. Um, honestly, this is a tough game to pick. My brain is telling me, pick Kansas City. They're better on offense. They're probably better on defense. Take them. But my gut is telling me that the Buccaneers, money line and bet the under. Now, I'm telling you this right now. If you're going to bet Tampa Bay, take the under. Every time, or almost every time, an underdog wins the Super Bowl, the under hits. Because their defense ends up finding, figuring them out. They slow the game down. It turns into an absolute rock fight. So if you take Tampa money line, I also suggest taking the under with it. Again, not that this has anything to do with this year's Super Bowl, but looking back at the last couple upsets, it would be fitting at Tampa Bay 1. The team that tries to go back-to-back usually loses to a, to an underdog team. Not only that, but somehow their offense gets um, mixed up. It gets stagnant. The defense ends up figuring it out. I don't know. This is just the trends I've been seeing, especially when I did some research on biggest upsets in the Super Bowl history, um, which we'll talk about that later for our list segment. I will go with my brain, and I know that's probably a terrible decision, but I'm going to go with my brain, and I'm going to go Chiefs minus three. But again, if you take Tampa, take the under with it. So I'm going to take a Chiefs minus three. I'm taking the over 56 and a half. A um, little bit of prop bets here. I'm taking tails. It never fails. And Kansas City will win the coin toss um, because I believe Tampa will end up picking heads. Um, first play of the game, I'm going to go with a run. Uh, 
Total players to attempt a pass, I am going to go over two and a half. Andy Reid is going to come out with a play that it's going to be receiver coming out of the backfield um, on a on a sweep, and he's going to throw it. He He's going to have some kind of bag of trips, so it's going to be an attempt. It doesn't have to complete it, just an attempt over two and a half. Lead changes in the first quarter. Yes, there will be a lead change in the first quarter. First touchdown, I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey, and this is why. Uh, initially, I think Tampa Bay is going to go zone to try and keep Tyreek Hill um, under wraps. When that happens, that's going to open up Travis Kelsey early. Um, so I'm going to go Travis Kelsey first touchdown. Um, here's another one. Brady and Mahomes combined over 55 completions. Take the over there. They will both have over 55 – or sorry. They will both um, combine for over 55 completions. Um, also, last one here, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, over four and a half yards of offense. Again, this one looks too good to be true, but I would take it 48 and a half. Take the over for total yards for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. This is going to be a fun Super Bowl. Again, it's going to be the – Probably one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback um, ever in the NFL versus the guy who is trying to climb that mountain of who is the greatest, who is having a hell of a start and just seems to be one of one of the most likable guys in the league in Patrick Mahomes. So going to be a big one, going to be fun. I am taking, again, Chiefs minus three over 56 and a half. Now, to move on to this blockbuster trade here that took place, uh, staff to the Rams for Goff, two first-round picks, and a third-round pick. Now, I think both teams get what they want here. Lions 100% get what they need because they need more help. This wasn't just a quarterback issue, obviously, because Matthew Stafford has actually been decent. But this is a ship that needs other things done to it. So what do you do? You need picks. So you get those two first-round picks from the Rams. You still get a competent quarterback. I don't think Goff is terrible by any stretch of the imagination. So there's a guy that's at least going to steady the ship a little bit. And he's going to be a guy that isn't going to kill you. He's not probably not going to win you any games, but he's not going to lose any games for you. And I think this actually makes the Lions a playoff team in about two years. With Goff there, he's not going to be terrible. You're going to have some picks. It's great for a rebuild. There's also a third-round pick in there too. And I think um, L.A. gets what they want as well. Or as well. You have Matthew Stafford, who is very good, who's been tied down by a terrible organization. And he, he's going to go to the Rams that, one, has a good defense. And, again, good defense can produce a good offense just because it's going to give you more cracks down the field. It's going to keep, um, it's gonna keep giving you chances. Also, the, you have some guys there. You have acres. You have receivers. You, you have guys around you, and this is a win now. Problem is, if you don't win now, because let's face it, Stafford really hasn't gone to any playoff games, all right? Or I think if he has, I think he's lost them. But if you have Stafford and you don't win 
in two or three years, you're in trouble. And when I say win, I mean at, at least another Super Bowl appearance and a maybe two other conference championships to at least make it. you got to make runs because if you're not making runs, this thing is terrible. But I think both teams get what they wanted. I think Lions 100% make out on this whole thing. All right. I've been reluctant to talk about this because I am a fan. And I try and keep my bias out of it. But the Philadelphia 76ers are the hottest team in the NBA right now. And a lot of people from Philly are saying, oh, this is it. The process is going to be complete. And guys, I want to believe. I want to believe. I really, really do. But I don't. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not buying the Sixers. The Sixers are a three seed. Maybe they dropped a four. But I just don't think the Sixers are going to make this run. Everyone thinks they're going to make. And, and here's why. Listen, Tobias Harris has been playing phenomenal and seems to be a key piece along with Seth Curry to, that's going to make this team go. But how consistent is he? Is he going to be – if he plays this well, yeah, they have a shot to make the finals. But I, history has told me otherwise that it's not going to happen. They're going to fall off at some point. Um. Simmons and Thibel are elite defenders. Offensively, though, they both look lost at times. You know, especially Simmons because he's supposed to be the guy past Embiid. Um, Seth Curry and Green are making shots. But again, what's going to happen when they consistently play a good team over and over again? Now, yes, I know they beat the Lakers. I know they beat the Pacers the other night without Embiid. They've beaten the Celtics, but they had no Jason Tatum. And they struggled in that game. They struggle with the Celtics when they don't have Jason Tatum. I just, I'm not sure. I want to believe. I just, we, we've seen this. We've seen this movie before. We see how it ends. Um, I want to believe in the 76ers. I really do. But luckily, it doesn't seem like anyone else in the East has it really figured out yet either. With all the COVID um, restrictions and everything going on and sitting guys sitting out. Um, the Nets, I think, are trying to get it together. I think. I don't know. They're still they're still sitting at thirteen and nine. I know they had, um, I know they had problems before, but I don't know. I, I want to say they'll end up getting it together possibly. But I, I'm sorry if if the Sixers were gonna do it, this is the year to do it because Brooklyn. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time to get figured out to kind of get used to, you know, meshing together. The Bucks don't look great. Celtics are down probably because of Jason Tatum not playing right now. So if the Sixers were to do it, this is the year to do it. But again, I, I maybe I'm a pessimist on this one, but history has told me otherwise with the Sixers. All right, college basketball talk. 
I've been actually very excited to talk about this. So it seems like everyone believes, and, and I agree, that Gonzaga and Baylor are pretty much your locks for the Final Four. But now, who who's going to be the next two in? So I have two that I think are are locks, I, and I really hope they're not in the same bracket. They possibly could be. I hope they're not. But um, I have two teams that I also believe are locks along with Baylor and Gonzaga, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Uh, my first one, I think right now they're projected a three seed, but I really like Virginia. Again, um, I know they've been upset in the past. I know they're the reign, but they're also the reigning champ, and I know they're going to be chomping at the bit to defend their championship because they could not do it last year. Um, forward Sam Hauser uh, has been incredible in ACC play, along with fellow forward Jay Huffs to accompany him. Uh, this team is going to play tough defense. They are going to dictate the pace of the game, and they and this is, I think, the. Uh, the big factor here with them, third in the nation in free throw percentage, meaning down the stretch, they are going to make their free throws. They're going to make shots. I really like Virginia. Good rebounding team, good free throw shooting team. Look for them, final four. This next one, I know people are going to be like, oh, it's chalk. They're projected number one seed, but I still feel like they have a lot of doubters, and that is Michigan. I love Michigan in the final four. And I can't believe I just said I love and Michigan in the same sentence, but I got, you got to give credit here. Um, center Hunter Dick Dickinson um, is really turning to be one of the best big men in the big 10, which that's a, that's a league that has a bunch of really good big men. Uh, Franz Wagner and uh, Chandi Brown. You have a team that can make a run with both those two guards with Dixon or Dickinson underneath, and then I think there's also a guy that, again, we're talking about unsung heroes uh, before in the Kansas City defense. I think this guy right here is an unsung hero for Michigan and the rest of the league. Um, is, is Ellis Brooks senior gives the team a spark, elite defender, and can space the floor. I, I really like. I really like them as long as Ellsbrook stays healthy along with uh, Wagner and Brown, Dickinson. This is a great team that is the best team in the Big Ten. Yes, I know Iowa. Iowa's defense, though, is shaky. Garza is a is a monster underneath, but I worry about Iowa's perimeter defense. I think Michigan has that defense, and they have the capability to make a run and to be quite honest I think they can match up against Baylor and Gonzaga and possibly win if they get hot at the right time but those are my final four Gonzaga Baylor I think are no-brainers right now Um, Michigan and also Virginia and now let's get on to our list this week (laughs) 
This week's list is brought to you by the Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy is daily fantasy that only deals with the top-tier athletes, so it appeals to casual and diehard sports fans. Remember to put in promo code JUKE, that's right, JUKE, J-U-K-E, when you sign up, and Thrive will give you an extra $20 if you deposit $20 or more. Download the Thrive Fantasy app to make your sports experience more exciting. Guys, you have NBA, NHL, the Super Bowl's on its way. What better way to get in on the action than to download the Thrive Fantasy app? All right, this week's list. Biggest Super Bowl upsets. All right, so biggest Super Bowl upsets. Um, We've been talking about it um, a little bit with Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to, I think right now they're a three and a half point underdogs. Um, Not a huge underdog by any means. I think they're at home, so I think that might um, put the spread a little bit closer in their favor. But without further ado, here we go. Uh, Our list on best Super Bowl upsets. Let's go. Uh, Start off, Super Bowl 32, Denver Broncos over the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay trying to go back-to-back, led by Brett Favre on offense and the legend Reggie White on defense. Um, Trying to go back-to-back, does not get it done. Denver Broncos behind veteran John Elway at the helm. People have been talking for a while. Can he win the big one? Can he win a Super Bowl? He finally gets it done, but he wasn't the guy. That, I mean, granted, he did help. I mean, he was the quarterback and everything like that. But he was not the hero. He was not the Super Bowl MVP. It was running back Terrell Davis scoring three out of the four touchdowns and rushing for 157 yards. Denver was an 11-point underdog. And the following year, um, would they would end up going back to back. Uh, number four which is Super Bowl four, Kansas City, their first title over Minnesota. Uh, this is the last Super Bowl for the merger of the AFL and NFL uh, merging together. Um, everyone thought that the more established NFL team, Minnesota, would be a clear winner here uh, in this matchup. I mean, there's no way the weaker AFL, their team was going to win back-to-back, right? And we'll talk about the one that happened before this later on. You know, know what's coming. But uh, Kansas City ends up defeating the Vikings handedly here. Um, even though no one may have known at this time, but Kansas City, that team, Super Bowl four, that team uh, would be saying their coach, Hank Stram, um, their quarterback, Len Dawson, and almost half of their defense to the Hall of Fame. Not bad for 12-point underdogs in that Super Bowl. All right, number four is Super Bowl four, Kansas City over Minnesota. Uh, number three, Super Bowl 36. I mean, do you guys remember the time when the New England Patriots were the underdogs, where everyone was rooting for them? <laughs> I know it's crazy how time has changed, but... This one is the one that started off for the Pats, Super Bowl 36. The St. Louis Rams uh, were, again, looking to go back-to-back as their offense, uh, known as the greatest show on turf, ran through the NFL. Rams were a two-touchdown favorite, 14-point favorite, who who didn't look like they were going to let this new Patriots team um, that kind of came out of nowhere win this one. Uh, I still remember the introductions to this day. Uh, this is a little side note. Um, 
in the Super Bowl, they would always introduce the individual players, like the starters, out on the field. Um, and then when St. Louis, when their starters were done running onto the field, the Patriots came out, but they came out as a team to kind of symbolize that team aspect, you know, which later actually kind of morphed into what we know as like the Patriot way. Uh, the Patriots defense held off the Rams the best they could. Tom Brady down, led their offense down the field to set up the Adam Vinatieri 48-yard field goal to secure the win and start off the dynasty that no one really saw coming. That's number three. Uh, number two, Super Bowl 42 Giants, the New York Giants over the New England Patriots. This one holds a, holds a special place in my heart being a Miami Dolphins fan. And again, this is still not a Dolphins podcast. Um, the Patriots were 16-0, looking to top the 72 Dolphins as the only team to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl. Eli Manning and the Giants defense had other plans. Low-scoring slugfest uh, gave the advantage to the Giants, led by Michael Strahan. They were swarming um, and really getting, getting after Tom Brady and that New England offense. Um you know, Eli Manning, they're down. And at, at the end, guys, this last drive, Hollywood couldn't e- could, Hollywood couldn't even come up with the script. Um, the events that transpired here. Eli Manning scrambles, to, and to this day, I still don't know how he wasn't sacked. Throws up an absolute prayer to the most unlikeliest heroes of day, which is David Tyree, catching the ball with his hand between his hand and his helmet which sets up a late game-winning touchdown caught by Plaxico Burris. Um, New England, 16-0, ends up being 16-1, does not uh, win the Super Bowl. Um, Some honorable mentions that I have here. um, Ravens over Niners in Super Bowl 46. Um, I think they're a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Super Bowl 15, the Eagles were favored. Over the Raiders, uh, Jimmy Plunkett uh, comes in off the bench, I think the fifth game of the year, um, and leads the Raiders in an upset victory over the Eagles. Uh, Super Bowl Twenty Two, small upset, but just the just how they lost. Washington gets embarrassed, not only upset, but embarrassed by the Denver Broncos, 42-10. And lastly, uh, Super Bowl Seventeen, uh, Washington defeats the Miami Dolphins, 27-17. Number one, I think we all know where this is going. Uh, Not only did this game propel the Super Bowl's popularity, but it also solidified Broadway Joe Namath as a legend. Joe Namath guaranteed that they were going to win. It was the mindset, it was the attitude of that team, not being boisterous, even though Joe was, um, but believing that they could win. Um, without the guarantee by Joe, Joe may not even be in the Hall of Fame here. I'm sorry, we all love Joe Namath, but I think those are facts looking at his statistics. Uh, Colts at this time were known as probably the greatest team that was ever assembled. Um, Jets held them off. Uh, The fellow um, Hall of Famer Johnny Unitas uh, for the Baltimore Colts here. Um, Seeing Namath run off the field with his finger in the air, signaling that they are number one, is still one of the greatest moments in Super Bowl history. Um, but I don't think people talk about what Joe Namath said after. 
the game and after when he was interviewed. A reporter says, Joe, you are the king of the hill. He replies, no, we are the king of the hill. It's the team, brother. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so there you go. So our final, our list. Uh, Broncos over Green Bay in Super Bowl 32. Kansas City over Minnesota in Super Bowl 4. Super Bowl 36. New England over St. Louis. Uh, number two, Super Bowl 42. Giants break New, uh, New England's undefeated streak. And number one, we all know it, Super Bowl three. Jets over the Baltimore Colts. Now, on to our closing statements. Um, hockey season has started, guys. Hockey season has started. Um, and it's great to have it back. But the NHL has basically sliced the NHL into four different camps. Uh, the East, the North, the West, and the Central. And they are basically going to play, you're only going to play your division. Eh, seems good on paper because, you know, I guess they don't want teams traveling, you know, and you have the Canadian teams going um, across, keep going across the border. So they want to make it fair. So everyone's going to play everyone in their division. The Canadian teams are going to stay up north, east teams east, west, central, like the whole thing. All right. Good idea on paper. But what they have created is a division of death, which is the East. All right, so we're going to go through the rest of these divisions, and we're going to see who's where. Okay, so let's start out West. Okay, because the West takes a lot of crap for being very bad at hockey for the most part. Um, and if you look at it, it's not too terrible. Um, the top four teams... Are legitimate. Uh, Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, those are your top three. And then Minnesota, good team. And you have Arizona as well, which is a fringe team. Um, might make the playoffs, might not. Okay, not a bad division. By the way, the top four teams from each division are going to make the playoffs. All right, let's look at the Central. Right now, Columbus is leading. Columbus is a very good team. They're good. Tampa Bay, defending champions, and the Dallas Stars, the runner-up. Okay, so you have the team that won last year, the team and the team that um, was the runner-up in the same division. Rough, but fine, because the rest isn't as good. Yeah, Columbus is good. I don't buy Florida yet. I, I don't. Um, I think they had COVID issues. They've only played five games, but they are 4-0, 4-0-1. We'll have to see. Carolina is one of those fringe teams like Arizona. Nashville, Chicago, Detroit uh, aren't as good. Same thing in the West where you have Anaheim, Los Angeles, and San Jose. Now let's look at the North. Let's look at the Canadian teams. Toronto, doing good, 7-2-1. But Montreal is two? I mean, they're good. They have some up-and-comers. They gave the Flyers fits during the playoffs. But two in the division? And then followed by Vancouver and Winnipeg? I mean, number uh, fifth in the division right now is Edmonton. 
I mean, they have McDavid, who is unbelievable, but they don't have a team. They don't have a team that's that can make a run. Uh, this this division is terrible. Okay, I'll give you Montreal and, and Toronto, but Vancouver and Winnipeg are your three and four. They're, those two teams are going to make it in this division that aren't as good. And now we're going to go to the East, and this is why they have created the League of Death or the Division of Death. Okay, Washington, Boston, two of some of the best teams in the past few years. Pittsburgh on a little bit of a decline, but they're still they're still going strong. Philadelphia, who is on the rise from last year. Okay, those are your top four. Now, you still have the Islanders who made a deep run in the playoffs last year, lost in the conference uh, championship to Tampa Bay. You have New Jersey who's also on the rise. Okay, so now that is, that's uh, six teams right there that are legitimate teams that can make run. Yes, even New Jersey. I believe New Jersey can make a run. I mean... I understand why they come up with it because it makes the most sense travel-wise. But there's going to be two teams out of the East that should make the playoffs and you have your Northern Canadian division with two teams that aren't, that are not playoff teams. Listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll eat my words once the playoffs come around. But it's not fair. I know you want to make it fair because the Canadians are going to have a hard time coming across the border and you want to keep them there. But these East teams, you're going to have two teams not make it that are legitimate playoff teams. I'm sorry. It's, they created the group of death. I know their hands are probably tied, but, oh man, they set the East up for absolute failure. But that's what happens when you go geographically all right guys that's our show make sure you follow us on instagram and twitter um, at juke sports pod make sure you guys give us a review give us that five stars on apple podcasts and give us a good review on spotify until next time adios